0: It was after COVID when everybody was just getting in line at these junk food or fast foods, and then they're like, oh my gosh, there's this thing called a fried chicken sandwich that everybody thinks is cool. It's like, what the f***? A fried chicken sandwich has been around for, like, how is this now a new trend? And it's like, we have three different versions of fried chicken sandwich on the menu. So I don't know. The trends, I hate to say it this, way, but the trends come to us. And it's like, okay, well, we've always done this chicken sandwich. We don't need to elevate it much because it's it's already great. Fried chicken biscuit, fried chicken sandwiches. We don't go outside the box and try to do a fried chicken sushi. We don't go outside the box and try to meet any of those trends or anything. They, they just, they wouldn't fit inside our box. I think that for this, this concept, we're talking about root and bone. Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown, a series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process with your host, Emmanuel.
1: Welcome food explorers to a new episode of the Flavors Unknown podcast. I am your host, Emmanuel LaRoche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the U.S. And every other week, I have genuine conversations with chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders from around the country to understand their path to success and how their background influences their creative process. Today, we are diving deep into the culinary world of sunny Miami, Florida. Our guests is none other than the mastermind behind some of the city's most successful restaurant concepts, chef Jeff McInnes. Originally from Florida himself, Jeff McInnes has tapped into the heart of Southern cooking while infusing an eclectic mix of flavors and techniques from around the globe. As the creative force behind Yardbird Southern Table and Bar, Root and Bones, Me Italia Kitchen, and Stitzville Fish Bar, he is a culinary maestro who orchestrates an unforgettable dining experience. We'll discover how he harmonizes his professional and personal life with his wife, Chef Janine Booth, and their collaborative process in creative menus. Towards the end of the episode, you will hear how Chef McInnes balances creativity and the execution of an idea in a restaurant. So grab a seat, sit back, and let's indulge in this flavor-rich journey with Chef, Jeff McInnes. Hi, Chef. How are you? Great, great. How are you, man? I'm very good, thank you. And thank you for being on the show. I know it's a busy time of the year, so I really appreciate that you are, you know, we are sharing like a few minutes, you know, on, on the podcast together. Yes. So you're originally from Florida. So I'm, I'm curious what food and smell reminds you of,
0: of your childhood. Oh, goodness. Gosh, I, I guess probably the smell of hush puppies. I okay. remember going to lots of fish fries and frying very cheap fish like mullet. There was a big festival where I grew up as a kid going to. It was called the Mullet Festival. And they would fry all this fried fish and fried hush puppies. And the smell would take over the entire festival. So I, that's definitely a a smell, I remember.
1: And then you have spent a lot of time as well with, you know, with your grandparents, correct? So it was in the Panhandle area in Florida? Yeah, I, I
0: lived as a child of my parents. We all lived in the Panhandle, Florida. My grandparents lived in Alabama. Yeah, oh, in Alaska, Alabama. Okay. They, they had farms. Okay. And my grandmother on my, my, my mom's side, she was very strong. She was a farmer and her husband passed and she just took over the farm. So to watch a woman, you know, take care of chickens and geese and guinea hens and cows and everything it really it was amazing so yeah
1: Do you think that is what connects did you with you know like local ingredients and and kind of like favoring you know local ingredients and what you're doing today does it it's rooted in you know in that time at at the time no
0: i was young and i i I didn't think it was cool i thought it looked like a lot of hard work and i mean i enjoyed being on the farm and helping her but you know, as I get older, for, for sure, the respect level of, of, of not wasting and respecting somebody who goes out in the garden. And you know, I remember her picking, you know, this big basket of eggplant and, and things and bring it all in. And then, you know, knowing that the family couldn't eat, you know, 45 huge eggplants <laughs> within the time period of before they died meant that she had to cook them into some kind of marmalade or something. That was always a lot of canning she would do. I remember. So I, I respected, yeah, I respected that. And I remember doing a lot of pickling and canning and stuff, which so cool. Yeah, I didn't, and now that's, you know, that's uh, it's done out of not a necessity, I guess. It's done out of a, a flavor of something, a, a cool garnish or an element, whereas back then it was like, this is how you survive. So
1: so what inspired you to become a chef and, and how did you first get started in the culinary industry?
0: Yeah, it was different for me. It wasn't because I was, you know any of my parents or grandparents it wasn't because somebody in my family was a great chef i think for me it was i was a hard worker i remember getting a job just working on fishing boats and docks and stuff and then you know my father he ran a construction company so i remember you know cleaning up construction sites like there's there's nothing worse than cleaning up a construction site after a bunch of dirty contractors and i remember doing that when i was really young like 9 10 years old And then when I was, I think I was 14, 15 years old, this guy that had some boats, he he also had a restaurant. He said, Hey, you know, during the winter, we don't take out the boats. So why don't you come and look at my restaurant and I'll let you wash dishes. So I washed dishes for quite some time at this upscale restaurant, seafood restaurant. And because I've been fishing a lot, I knew a little bit about fish and, you know, I knew how to cut a fish. And I remember there was an opportunity, a guy had cut himself really bad sous chef had cut himself really bad and he had to go to the emergency room and and i remember the head chef was out i think he was on vacation or something for the weekend and i remember this pile of fish being right there by the dish sink you know you know he kind of had this big big sink full of ice and fish and he left and i remember all the cooks kind of looking at it and i said oh let me let me do this i can do this and i kind of saved the day i was able to cut through the fish enough to get Enough done for, uh, for service that night. And so I was kind of the hero for that moment. The dishwasher saved the day. I think I was probably 15 years old. Okay. And uh, yeah, they, they bought me a case of beer. And when you're 15 and you have a case of beer, you're really cool. Like, it's, <laughs> That's you know. It. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) yes I. it wasn't (laughs) iPhones back then but I remember meeting up my friends later and uh, saying look I I have a case of beer and uh, then they were like wait you did what now you you have a job and they pay you how much so then all my friends got into it they wanted to work at this restaurant and they wanted to, to 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 hang out and do these things so a group of us got into the the restaurant scene at a young age and I guess because they figured out I could cut fish and I was peeling the shrimp and, and, and you know, doing a little prep, prep here and there, you know, I got, I got to work my way up and uh, it just happened by accident. I was extremely ADD, still am. I, I, you know, I think I'm a little bit dyslexic, never really been diagnosed with that dyslexia. But for me, I, I remember hating school, specifically high school. I remember not doing well, you know, Dreading taking a test because I I can't read for more than five or ten minutes before my mind is somewhere else, and so not getting through real real school, just kind of slacking off, you know, maybe cheating my way through school and and just not enjoying it, and then going to work after school and enjoying it and being like oh, I can't wait to get out of school so I can go to work, and I think by the time I guess there was you know four or five years of that, and then it was okay, it's time to go to college all my friends are enrolling and oh, I want to do this and that. And I didn't want to do any of those things that they were doing. And I said, well, shit, I, you know, I, can, I can cook. I'm actually good at this. And the cooking was uh, impulsive and, and, and busy and everything happened at once. And you, know, you got 15 tickets hanging and there's a server screaming that they need this and somebody sent back this food or whatever. So there was always a lot going on. And for my head, I remember a guy told me that was the chef that it was a, it was the owner of the restaurant. He told me he said, "You know, for how young you are, you can really grasp on to a lot because you're handling, you know, you're putting out a lot of fires." And I remember him telling me that, and it was uh, it was interesting because I didn't know at that time that I was good at it until somebody pulled me aside and said, "Hey, you're, you're doing really good, and you're you're really young." Then I realized, oh, my brain's working differently, and I started picking up on how I and. In- enjoyed working and thriving and so for me the restaurant industry just clicked and nothing else really did and so it was more of a practical thing it was more of a craft for me it was more of a hey i can do this and maybe i can make some money at it and i can't do much else i guess
1: <laughs> so you went to you went to johnson and wells right yeah, I, I, I in, to- in,
0: in Charleston. yeah i, I went uh, yeah i went to johnson wells in charleston south carolina yeah did uh, mm-hmm. did 2 years there. Okay. It's great. I love love Charleston. Okay.
1: How was the time there? Charleston's
0: the most beautiful city okay. in the world. I, I mean, I'm I'm I love history. I'm in the history and there's not a better city for something like that.
1: Who has been your most influential mentors?
0: Oh goodness. When I was young, I was in Charleston. I remember there was a chef that I was working for. He's passed away now. His name was Phil Core. And he was a New Yorker, but he had lived in Charleston for a long time, and he had fallen in love with Southern food. And, you know, I guess I had not i had not understood that Southern food was respected. I guess I didn't think Southern food was cool because I grew up with it, and my parents cooked it, and my grandma cooked it, and it can't be cool if grandma's cooking it, you know. Like, I was, I was young and stupid. And so, you know, at that point, I remember him – Explaining to me and like, look, this is a French technique, but it's very Southern. This is you know, this is Creole, but it's 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 very European. This is you know, Spanish, but it blends in with so. so you know, I started learning through through going to culinary school and working for this guy at the same time that Southern food was awesome. And going to school in in, in Charleston, South Carolina, which is you know the Southern mecca of, of of food right now. The food scene there is over the past ten years is just explosive. So. Yeah, that period of my life was extremely influential and I realized that, you know, I guess you you said the word roots earlier, I realized that the roots of where I was from and were actually very valuable and and the food that I grew up with, you know, the fried chicken, the fish, you know, all, all that stuff was cool and hip. I guess it wasn't right then and there. That was like the late 90s early 2000s, but for sure over the past decade it's it's come around and it's it's beyond trendy. It's so
1: you know you spent some time at Yardbird's, you know, Southern Table and Bar. So how that time influenced your culinary style and approach to cooking?
0: That time was very unique for me. I, I was I went into into that head on. I I, had, I was a part owner of a little Asian restaurant, and I I I met a guy who wanted to do he wanted to do a barbecue restaurant. I lived like across the street from the building where Yardbird, where we would build it, and. This guy said, Hey, you know, I want to do this restaurant and I I love your food. And I know they're from the South. And I think I had just done top chef or something. And he's like, let's do this. And I I said, no, I said, no, I'm not, I I don't want to, I'm happy where I am. And I guess I had said no a few times. And I said, you know, and he was looking for an investor. And I said, well, I don't, I don't have that kind of money. And eventually I, I, I believed in this place. I said, well, if we can use this location and we can, you know, tweak the, the flavors to go away from barbecue a little bit. And, you know, the, the conversation of chicken came in. You know, we, we kept talking and, and we hung out a lot and would meet for coffee or drinks or whatever. And, you know, it, it rounded itself out into something that I really wanted. And it, 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 was, it was Yardbird. So, yeah. And, you know, from the name, from the cuisine, from the decor, everything, my friend Chris, who was our, our, my partner with the branding side. He really helped round it out. And, and it was such a special restaurant still is. And it was that it was the first place of that magnitude that I was an owner and a head chef of it was the first time that I had found myself commanding, you know, 3540 cooks, <laughs> because it was that busy. It was the first time that I had I had done anything of that caliber. And you know, gotten written up and the James Beard Awards and all that stuff. So, your question is is very loaded. It was it was a big experience. It was the biggest experience of my life. It was a great experience, and yeah, we were able to. You know, I think I was talking about Southern food earlier and how it wasn't cool. I think right then and there we really hit that stride, especially in Miami, of bringing something unique and different to Miami. There wasn't any. There wasn't any great Southern restaurants at the time. I I think there's probably a handful of fish shacks, but they weren't known and they weren't elevated. And and yeah, we brought elevated Southern food to Miami. I guess that was, gosh, 2011 or 12. So yeah, it's been about 10 years and uh, it was explosive. It was amazing. It, It was great. It definitely defined the last 10 years of my life for sure. So you, you just mentioned that,
1: you know, at that location that you had to manage and, and lead, you know, like 30 plus, you know, chefs and cooks. So how did you approach like your, your leadership style? And, and how now that you say it's been 10 years. So how have you seen your leadership style evolving since, you know, the, when you started at the Advert?
0: Yeah. So before that, I, I, I worked for the Ritz Carlton for, I guess, seven years. Yeah. And you know, it was very structured. And I thank God for that time. That was very influential in my career. So, you know, I guess taking the structure and the 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 knowledge that I learned in a in a very corporate atmosphere like that and rounding it off with, with great and unique food, you know, you know, you couldn't do that kind of food at the time in a hotel. So being able to take that structure in the back of house and the organization with the scheduling, with the ordering, with all those things. And I guess at that point, I knew how to make some money and I knew how to balance, you know, balance the, the food costs and labor costs and all that. And so I had the foundation, thank God. I wasn't just shooting from the hip. And so it was a big change because I, I guess going from running a kitchen where you know if you, if you have a kitchen where you're it's just you and about you know anywhere between 5 to 10 employees backhouse employees you wind up having your hands in the food all the time and that's good you know that's a i guess as a chef as a young chef you really get to cook a lot when when that's your 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 size of your brigade you know you might have a sous chef and three or four cooks and a dishwasher too you find yourself in the walk-in, in the in, on the line a lot. And I guess Yardbird in the beginning we were very lean, and I did cook a lot. But I remember towards the end of my partnership there, you know, three or four years later, it was it was so damn busy that <laughs> I just found myself expediting all the time, putting out fires, and I had to to, to lead the kitchen with a lot more delegating than I was used to towards the end. But, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's not a bad thing, you know. Yeah, you look at a hotel chef and I, I have a lot of friends that are hotel chefs and you know, love to make fun of them and like, hey, was the last time you got to pick up your knife and how's that laptop? And now, you know, as I'm older and <laughs> my wife and I we have a string of restaurants and and and, and I miss that. I miss I miss having just my sous chef and five or six cooks and and, and being there and being in the trenches I, I I say that but then you know I have three children now so I, I don't know if my life would would work if I had to just be in charge of one place and do the 80 hours a week 90 hours a week you know th- those times of my life are they come and go I, I, I have openings I, I do I do have times where a chef quits and I'll, I'll have to put in and, and do those times but it's not an all the time thing for me which is which is good <laughs>
1: So you're mentioning your your wife, obviously, chef Janine Booth. So you're a couple in you know life and in the restaurant business, the kitchen or the restaurant business. So what has that been like working with your spouse in the, in the kitchen, and how do you balance you know your your professional and personal lives?
0: For a while there, we didn't balance it, and it was it was terrible. You know, I, I think it was something we had to learn to do. Yeah, the industry has has been really rough on on everyone's personal life. I think yeah, you know. Especially when I remember working in the hotels for the Ritz-Carlton for seven or eight years, I, I would, you know, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, those were always <laughs> big days, especially in Miami and, and, and Thanksgiving. And, you know, you, you never took a Valentine's Day off, especially when you ran that smaller restaurant by yourself. So always very difficult on relationships back then. And and then, you know, meeting Janine and, and she very strong in the kitchen, very strong in the back of house. But new to the industry you know was very shocked at the, the the workload and the hours and i probably was more well that's the way it is so we're going to do it we're going to be open all the time or we're, we're not going to close the restaurants and we're going to keep striving and pushing forward and i'm going to be this leader with a you know a fist because that's how i learned and it was a successful way but you know, there's not longevity doing that with your spouse, so it, it it was tough. But you know, we hit a stride more recently in how to do that, and she's really, really, really good at, at flavor. She's more talented than me. At, at, at her palate is strong, and there are there are strengths that she has, and there are strengths that I have, and.
1: So how do you collaborate on on menu developments and the recipe creation? I,
0: you know, the way that it's come out lately is, is you know, for instance, I can just tell you about what's going on today. So I, I'm working on a project in Puerto Rico with a team of investors and, you know, they've got a hotel that they want to flip. It's it's more of a really cute motel, if you will. It's only like 120 rooms, but they want to do this very healthy, you know, awesome, not just restaurants, but lifestyle where it's, you know healthy and spa like and organic. And for us, she kind of attacks the, the decor and the, the design of the menu and the front of house, the, the glassware, the silverware, the plates and picking that. Side. And I'm amazing with designing the kitchen and building the kitchen. And no, we don't need, we need a planche over here. And we need this kind of, you know, we need more electric burners because we use slow heat cooking because we're doing a lot of vegan food. And, you know, for, for me, I'm, I'm really good with designing and. My brother's an architect, so he's taught me how to use CAD and all those things. So, you know, she'll attack the aesthetics in the front of house and the and the beauty and the branding, and from that angle. And I'll attack it from the the culinary side and building the kitchens. And then with putting the menu together, I'm definitely the one that's in the kitchen a lot more, and I do a lot more traveling. And she's taking care of the kids more. But you know, hey, what about this recipe? Or instead of doing regular baba ganoush, what if we do this? And Hey, why don't you try the the smoke on the eggplant is too smoky for this kind of food. Let's let's do it on a you know, a, do it in the pizza oven versus the grill, and just you know, and and testing recipes, and then I'm finding a way for those recipes to actually work on a bigger scale for cooking for you know hundreds of covers versus at home. And yeah, we we attack it in that way. And God bless her. I you know we we decided we have three children now, so we decided at one point you know we don't make a lot of money so why would you pay <laughs> for you know for someone else to raise your children at a young age the same almost the same amount of money as you pay yourself <laughs> versus find a way to work from home and 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 take care of the kids and still be able to have a life with them and and have them be close to the parents so we've adapted and we like it and it works for us and that goes back to you know the relationship part of how do you how do you work with your spouse like you just you find a way to make it work and to keep your family happy. It's, it's a, it's gotta be a priority.
1: So do you have an advice for other couples looking to work together? in Yeah. My industry? advice
0: would be don't work together in the industry. <laughs> 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 I have, I have a lot of friends that, you know, have a wife will be a pastry chef at one restaurant and he'll be running a hotel at another And I, you know, that, that's, that seems to work. And, and, you know, I have a lot of friends that have done what we've done, and they wind up on the rocks, and it's it's tough, you know. It's very hard, you know. I think that we learned by trial and error, a lot of error, because I, I you know, we're both very passionate, and we weren't real smart with our, our 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 investors and our investments. We we put a lot of our own money into a lot of our own restaurants, and we didn't have the luxury of. Being wealthy, <laughs> you know, we were we were a little risky. We we gambled a lot, and and you know when you do that, whenever you put your life savings into a restaurant, especially before COVID, yeah, there's there's nothing that'll scare you more than than watching your your nest egg in a, in a restaurant <laughs> environment because it's in Miami. I don't know about uh, other places. I've been stuck here you know off and on for 10 years and 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 well in in new york you know it, new york's the same it's just a roller coaster you know we'd have great months windfalls and then we'd do nothing you know in 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 new york we i remember hitting you know after thanksgiving it just being so damn cold and we, we had a restaurant in the east village and just you know nobody would go out it just they'd be freezing or they would uh, you know and then there's the the summer months oh well everybody goes to the hamptons for the summer oh well everybody hibernates for the winter oh well it's it's beautiful weather and it's, it's fall. So everybody goes and drives up uh, through the New England, like well, when the hell are they here? It's just, it's always, yeah, it was just always really tough. New York was really tough. We did, we did a, We ran a restaurant there for nine years.
1: I've been to your, I've been to the restaurant there. Yeah. Yeah. We, there. Closed, yeah we closed yeah, in April, yeah, yeah. you know,
0: and we yeah. never came back from COVID COVID really, really sucker punched us. And, you know, God bless the government did help out with the PPP. So the last couple of years of, of bleeding, we, we had a little life support there, but it was scary and tough. I don't know if I have the best advice for a, a married couple working together. It's just be good to one another, and, and that's, that's about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about your your different restaurant concepts. So, obviously, Roots and Bones, and then you have Alia Kitchen and Ville Fish Bar. And maybe I'm missing others, but you know, let's let's start talking about like the description a little bit of the of the concept there. So let's start with Root and Bones. So what inspired you to open Root and Bones, and and what made this restaurant unique?
0: Yeah, I mean, Root and Bone was the first place that my wife and I opened together, and I had been a partner in a lot of concepts prior to that. And, and when I opened Yardbird with with the team, it was obvious that it was going to be a success, and I guess we found we found a sweet spot. I think I told you my partner wanted to do barbecue before and you know barbecue you've got you've got steaks, you've got brisket, you've got ribs, you've got all this high-end meats and red meats and pork and and, and you got to have chicken. You got to have all these things and the price on that, especially lately, it's just it's it's roller coaster. It's up and down and you know chicken for us always made sense. It's, you know, it's affordable everybody eats it, you know, you know, here in the, in the, in the Miami and New York, you know, there's a lot of Jewish communities and like, you know, chicken is king, in my opinion, you know? And so I'm not going to lie, root and bone was something we did right after Yardbird and moved to to New York so far away from this location of Yardbird. and, And we, we did great biscuits, great Southern food, great mac and cheese. You know, we did meatloaf, but, you know, we did a Upscale version. So we take short rib and we braise it and and we smoke it and braise it and we shred it up and then we toss caramelized onions with it in this beautiful reduction of red wine and jus and then we compress it into little bricks and then we chill it and then we're able to cut it into bricks and then we almost burn it on the outside. So it's like this burnt ends style brisket, short rib meatloaf. And then we make ketchup from scratch out of heirloom tomatoes and we whip, you know, Yukon potatoes. So it's still it's still an homage to the traditional meatloaf, but it's not your grandma's ground beef. It's it's short rib and it's braised and it's loved and it takes three and a half days to make. And the chicken, we we dehydrate lemons and then we crush it into powder and we have this dehydrated lemon powder that's really zesty and bright on the outside of this, you know, unique umami fried chicken that we brine for. For a day. And, and so, you know, the biscuits we make from scratch and we freeze the butter and we fold it in and it's got this lovely, everything is made from scratch and it's it's cool. Everything is is really over the top with technique. We hit a good price point with all of that. We found a way for it to to make sense and for the neighborhoods, you know, we opened the restaurants, the, the, the last three Root and Bones, you know, we just closed the New York one, but we opened them in unique neighborhoods where people would want to go there once a month you know and I think that was that was the goal it was mm-hmm. the it was the let's not overprice this chicken let's not overprice things to where people can't afford or don't want to go there you know people that are our age or are, are, are in our financial <laughs> way you know th- th- this isn't going to break the bank and we can go there often and it it's our neighborhood it's our cheers it's our spot and we get to the bar eat fried chicken and biscuits and we drop Twenty-five bucks, thirty bucks, and we're happy, and so that that worked for us. That works, and it still works.
1: And so you have one in, in Indianapolis, correct?
0: Yes, and it's an amazing little neighborhood. What was the reason to uh, to open there? Again, we just found this neighborhood and this this location. It was it was sick. It was just this. It was this old uh, guy had it forever. It was it was an antique store. It was like a it was like a this really cool antique store. of stone and and just really. It just had this beautiful southern old vibe, and it was big, and it was next to a college, inside of a neighborhood where there was a you know good good area, and and my partners, I, I met a guy who was an Indianapolis five hundred racer, or, or IndyCar racer, and another guy that you know was willing to put in the bulk of the money, named Tom Collins, who was, couldn't have been nicer, and he loved the brand and really wanted to do it. And he, he came to me and was like, hey, we want to do something in Indianapolis. We think it's a city that needs a good chef and a, and, and, and it's it's been great. It's been great there. Do
1: you have any plans to expand any other in- interesting other neighborhoods? Yeah, I think, you know... The, the concept? Ruin-Bow?
0: Yeah, I think cities like that, you know, that aren't, you know, Chicago's tough. You know, we looked at Chicago. New York's been tough. Miami right now, I don't know what happened over the past five years. Everybody's wanted, especially since COVID, everybody and their mothers wanted to move here. Big, big names. There's a lot of competition. And, you know, so cities like Indianapolis, they're just smarter moves. Yeah, for sure.
1: So how do you balance the the classic comfort food dishes in a menu, root and bones and more sophisticated option on the menu?
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said, we, we usually take some classics and then we put our own twist to it, our own spin to it, and elevate it a lot. I think that's a recipe that works. And mm-hmm. each of the root and bones. I, I have a decent chef, a great chef, that you know, he usually throws on two or three dishes. So he has some fun, something to keep him playing and playful. And so yeah, we standardize seventy five percent of the menu and the other twenty five percent we 30 percent we change often, you know, four or five times a year. So it's it's always moving
1: i mean a lot of things uh, you know i've seen like traveling around the country have changed you know when it comes to chicken and, and especially a lot of new things you know with fried chicken i think everyone has their fried chicken sandwich you know on the menu yeah. now how do you stay up to date with food trends and incorporate them in, in the menu at the wooden bones or do you i, I don't do you know understand? if i do take care yeah, pay attention you know it's, it's
0: funny that, like you're right there was what was it like a year ago it was after COVID when everybody was just getting in line at these junk food, fast foods, and then they're like, oh my gosh, there's this thing called a fried chicken sandwich that everybody thinks is cool. It's like, <laughs> what the f-? a fried chicken yeah. sandwich has been around for, like, how is this now a new trend? Yeah. And it's like, we have three different versions of fried chicken sandwich on the menu. So I don't know, the trends, I hate to say it this, way, but the trends come to us. And it's like, okay, well, we've always done this chicken sandwich. And uh, yeah, we just, <laughs> we, we don't need to elevate it much because it's it's already great. Fried chicken biscuit, fried chicken sandwiches. We don't go outside the box and try to do a a fried chicken sushi. We don't go outside the box and try to meet any of those trends or anything. I mean, they they just they wouldn't fit inside our box. I think that for this this concept we're talking about root and bone, if it fits in the box, sure we meet it halfway and and and, and match that trend. But if it if it's you know high end caviar and stuff, maybe we'll put them on tater tots here and there, but. You know, that, that, that would just be for holidays. I think we just stay true to our roots and, yeah.
1: So let's switch to my Italian like kitchen. So what inspired you to open that concept? And what, what was the vision
0: for the restaurant? The inspiration was there was a killer location next door to Root & Bone here in Miami. It was a, it was a sandwich shop and it closed. And we knew somebody was going to take it. And my wife, her her father had an Italian restaurant when she was growing up, and she's always been heavy into Italian food. It was something she really wanted to do, and I love Italian food, and who doesn't love good pasta and pizza? And so we did. We we signed a lease, and, and with our partners, Grove Bay, opened an Italian restaurant that has been, I've learned so much from there, and that one was more her passion project and, and, and definitely the bulk of the recipes and menus were developed under her wing. And I am there more than I am at the other restaurants trying to push that one along because it's, it is, it's, you know, it's, it's unique for a couple like Janine and I to have a restaurant where neither of us are Italian, but all the flavors are spot on and, and the food's coming out amazing. We have a really talented chef named TJ there who is killing it for us and he ran an Italian restaurant in New York for 10 years and he came down around COVID time and and we, we got to have him on board. So it's doing well. We're doing some really cool promotion in January at both Root & Bone and Bonham, Italia, side by side and there's this really amazing patio that's very romantic. So we're doing a Thursday night date night. So Janine is going to... Work at Mitali on Thursdays. I'm going to work at Bone on Thursdays. We're going to take a, a break at nine o'clock and sit down and have our date night. And we're doing some uh, yeah, we're doing some prefix menus so the date can sit down and have a prefix menu from here. Come back here, have a prefix menu from the next one, and some live music and the candles and the flowers and the whole thing. Super inexpensive, you know. Try, uh, trying to hit that fifty dollar prefix menu for for four or five courses, so that'll be fun. So so yeah, we'll be there a lot this this month.
1: Tell me something. As you said, you know neither of you are you know Italian or Italian background. So how how did you approach the uh, like the creation of the menu in in order to maybe incorporate you know traditional Italian techniques or flavors you know in the, in the dishes?
0: I think it was the same as as what we were talking about with root and bone. You know, taking the classics, a carpaccio, for instance. Mark carpaccio is amazing. It's the best carpaccio I've ever had in my life, and I'm not just saying that because it's my restaurant, but we, we, you know, we take the tenderloin, slice it very thin, but then we took black garlic, fermented black garlic and made this awesome olive oil, black garlic paste and have these crispy capers. And it just, just hit all the, the crunchy and the umami, all these elements and uh, this pickled fennel, which is a little outside the traditional flavors, but not far outside garlic. It's very normal, but not black garlic, you know.
1: So is it something that you have done for like all the main dishes to say, to have an Italian restaurant, you need to have like, you know, carpaccio, you need to have pasta, you need to have pizzas and so on. But how do, are we going to make it?
0: I unfortunately think so. You know, it's, 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 it's annoying if you will, because, you know, I have some really talented friends, Jeremy Ford and, and Brad Kilgore and these guys who are, who are running Michelin style restaurants and they can just be whimsical with every single dish if they want. And get away with it. But for me, if I open a restaurant, a southern restaurant, my price point is here and we're just trying to do damn good food and you don't have grits, you don't have mac and cheese, you don't have fried chicken. Well, everybody and their mother is going to have something to say about that. Oh, you, you don't have fried chicken or you did the fried chicken like this. Like, like I think you have to stick, you know, in this, in this level of restaurant, you got to stick to the classics and have them, the spaghetti and meatballs or the bolognese or the lasagna, and yes, can you do a take on the lasagna, and instead, you know, we, we, we did a truffled lasagna that's got this truffled ricotta, and shaved truffles on the top, and crispy maitake Taki mushrooms, but at least it's a lasagna, and at least it's got the layers of pasta, at least it's got the, the the ricotta in it, and at least it's got this bechamel, so
1: customers can connect,
0: yes, yeah. and in the end, trust me, they do say, wow, it didn't have the, it didn't have any meat, it was vegetarian, well, <laughs> it was, yes, But that's only one out of a hundred that say that. The rest of them like it, you know. Generally
1: speaking, what are your sources of inspiration? And you know, when you are thinking about your creative approach, is it easier, like you know, the creative aspect when you get older? Is it no? I don't think easier or more difficult.
0: I think I was much more creative and inspired back in the day, and probably went outside the box and made dishes that weren't as good, (laughs) and they made it onto the menu. But I was more risky. Whereas today, now that I'm older, you know Janine's ten years younger than me, so she's still got some of that trial and error. That, that that's still some of that more guts than me. As as I get older, I think I stick more to, to to the classics. And I know this dish works because I did a version of this dish five years ago here. But let me do it in a seafood or in a in a in a in an Italian manner or whatever. And I, I do find myself not going, not being as much of a risk taker as I get older. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's something else that other chefs would would share. I'm, I'm forty, I'm turning forty five now, and I, I shouldn't say that about myself because I, I do still do stuff outside the box. You know, we're we're doing a, a concept in Puerto Rico right now where it's a lot of vegan food and a lot of Lebanese and Mediterranean flavors and stuff, and that's that's different for anything I have right now, and so I, I shouldn't be so down on myself. I definitely still. Go outside the box. And 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 where do I get that inspiration from? Tying in flavors that I've already used. I wish I had time to go and study under somebody. I don't anymore. Because that used to be something I would do when I was younger, you know, go and stage for a week at a friend's restaurant or 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 something. That that was always that was always the best. Man, I learned more as a youngster staging and working for free for somebody for, you know, a couple of days or a week or two or I went to. I remember I went to Egypt. I was working for the Ritz Carlton. I said, "Hey, you know, the summer's dead. Can I please take a couple of weeks and go work at another Ritz Carlton?" I wound up working in Turkey in in Istanbul for a period of time, and in Egypt in Sharm el Sheikh, Egypt. And oh my God! I mean, I w- I wound up being there for about two months, and I was just immersed in, and and lost in flavors. I think those flavors. We're talking about doing a new Lebanese and, and vegetarian menu. I think those flavors. Remembering that that trip, those trips are what's triggering all of my creativity now. I was very organized as a young kid. I didn't have laptops and all these things, so I I, I did a good job of pen to paper, of of, of handwriting recipes, and I, I found them in my garage recently. And I've I've it's been great.
1: So when you're creating a menu, there's always you know the idea, which is one aspect, but after that, obviously, there's the execution at the stations and then the flow of the service. So how do you balance like the creativity aspect and the execution aspect of an idea?
0: Gosh, I don't know. For for me it's very structured. I, I I look at the kitchen, the physical, you know, kitchen, you know, what equipment do you have? How many people can you fit on the execution station? How many cooks can you afford to fit without going over budget? You know, create the budget. Uh, design the space uh, how many prep cooks how involved do you want the food to be? how many steps from somebody who doesn't run a restaurant it's way more involved than, than just oh I can make great food it's okay it, it has to it has to flow in a way that makes sense financially has to flow in a way that makes sense to where the food is going to be executed properly on the plate and still be fresh still be good still can go out to the guest and, and be at its best. You know, I know people that do these dishes, uh, you know, uh, soufflés, baked Alaskas. There are dishes that you you have to have a kitchen and a brigade set up to do these dishes. And they they have these big dreams of of executing these things that they don't, they don't don't translate. They don't work because you don't have that many people to run the kitchen or you don't have that equipment to do it right. You know, somebody the other day was like, hey, I want to do a smash burger. We don't have a plancha. Like you got to start from the basics how many people can you fit on the line? What are your basic equipment? And then you start from there. And then you want to balance your kitchen, you know, each cook, how novice are your cooks or how experienced are your cooks? You can't have 25 dishes on one station. And I see chefs do that all the time where they have an overload on a appetizer station or, or, or a garment station. And they wonder, Oh my God, why is my, my, my appetizers are taking a half an hour to get out? Well, You've got too many, or, you, or you've overloaded one guy, or your guy that's on that station is novice, and you you, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to put two sous chefs on that station to run it. Well, now there's nobody in the back on the hotline, so it's just, it's, it's for me, it's, it's a uh, mathematics and 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 figuring out a way for it to flow and setting your team up for success with the right equipment. And I can't tell you how many. Owners and partners I've worked with, and you know I hope none of them are listening because it pisses me off to see somebody write a dream menu that has no f- business flowing with a bunch of novice cooks or you know a brigade of of two or three cooks on a line, and you've got a, a 45, 55 item menu that's heavy on saute or heavy on it's, it's, it. It really takes a lot more thought and process, and I don't think a lot of people really go there with it with with that you know that's
1: really that's really interesting so i have like two follow-up questions on 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 this topic the first one you mentioned before when we talked about the creative aspect that most of the time you're not like at the moment thinking more like outside of the box but more like let's take something that i know works and then we tweak it so is it, is it because of that reason of the execution phase? Because you know it's going to work? I think, I've,
0: whatever, I think I've failed you know. enough. <laughs> I think I've failed enough in the past to where you, you, you said it best there. You know, let's, let's pick on Carpaccio again. So Carpaccio, I know that I can pre-slice this stuff and have it done and put it on parchment, rip it out, and I can have it on the plate within one minute and garnish it within a minute and 45 seconds that means i've th- it takes 3 minutes to do this dish and that's that's a great time frame right all right and now let's not load that guy up to where he could be doing 10 of those and 15 salads within a 20 minute period because if you do that math he's looking at doing over one dish a minute well one dish a minute sounds good but you just told me that it takes 3 minutes to do that dish so working backwards from there and then finding out what dishes work and then elevating them tomorrow Is is what makes sense. Okay, well, you want to do a Caesar salad. Well, let's make it great, and then let's put our unique Parmesan tuile on it. That's got this, you know, pointy, beautiful thing that we can make look like a palm tree or whatever it is, and work backwards from there. Because, yeah, it's. I see it time and time again, especially in young chefs trying to set up their dream menu, and it's. I find myself teaching my own chefs at Root and Bone and stuff that, that that. you know this this chef his name's Chris he's amazing i love him you know he wants to make gnocchi from scratch great then that should be your focus just let's get the gnocchi done well i want to confit the, uh, the the crawfish and i want to take you know the, the 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 butter from the crawfish and then i want to emulsify it with this and that it's like you're getting too involved with it man for us we just don't have it's not that it's not going to be amazing it's going to be amazing but you know you want to make that for your wife or for a private event or for a special night or special tasting, that's fine. But to do that over and over again, we're going to fall behind and we're we're not going to keep up with all with the rest of the menu and the ba- rest of the basics. I think unfortunately, as I get older, I've set up my restaurants to make money more than to, to appease my desire to be more cutting edge and stuff. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of chefs that would say, oh, you got to walk that line and I do from time to time, <laughs> but but I, I've also been able to have eight restaurants now that run for a period of time and and make Very a little cool. bit of money. It's and in important. fact, my,
1: you 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 answer with your example of the New Keys and the crawfish. You answer my other question that was, you know, have you had like an example of either yourself or chef that's worked with you? In fact, that you had to drop an idea because of you know the way yeah. the restaurant is structured or you know like the brigade and.
0: I didn't drop his idea because I wouldn't want to crush him like that. We still have this gnocchi, we still have the crawfish, but we're not doing those extra pieces. But we found mm. some great red vein sorrel to garnish it with that somebody grows locally, and he's happy. So, so I didn't, I didn't crush his. Hey, good.
1: <laughs> okay, so let's switch to the rapid fire questions because you know, believe it or not, we have been talking for about fifty minutes already. So. So you, you and I are going on a tasting tour in Miami. What are like the five spots that you are going to take me to outside of your restaurants, obviously?
0: Oh, my goodness. There's so many new restaurants. So I, I might ask for you and I to go to one I haven't been to yet because there's so many, you know, that Michelin just came through and great everything. But if we went to places that I know because I want to make sure you have a good meal, you know, Jeremy has his stubborn seed. Jeremy Ford has stubborn seed, mm-hmm. which is amazing. We would probably go to some of my friends' restaurants. You know, I still think that that Jose Mendin's pub bellies are spot on. I don't know. I've, nev- I've never had a bad meal in one, and I wouldn't want to take you to all just fancy places. You know what? Bourbon Steak. I've never had a bad meal there. It's classic. It's old school. I love a good steakhouse. It's in Aventura, and I kind of live up this way, and so my wife and I find ourselves there a lot. And like, just you know, they just they just hit all the. The classics perfectly. Nothing's crazy outside the box. And you got to have a good steakhouse once in a while. So, bourbon steak, that's Michael Mina's place. I mean, I, I would love to take you to my restaurants, you know, still, still fish bars right on the water. It's a classic fish house. If we weren't going to our, my restaurants, another fish house would be like the Rusty Pelican because there's a beautiful view and it's, it pays homage to classic fish. What else? That was four.
1: I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned Bright Brad, Brad go before. So, I, oh yeah, is restaurant
0: Marigold? Uh, yeah, yeah. phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal. Cool. and 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 really, special. yeah, yeah, In yeah. a hip, you know, the design, the Midtown area, yeah, very hip, awesome, restaurant. yeah. The Winwood, Winwood, thank you, yeah, and, there. yeah,
1: yeah, 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 no problem, yeah, yeah. I, I just came back from you know from Miami, so it's like very vivid in my my mind at the moment. What's your favorite guilty pleasure food?
0: Oh gosh, oh, I don't know. There's a lot. <laughs> I'm not the biggest sweets guy. I'm not. I, I I love a really good ribeye, a prime rib. I love barbecue. I love I love good, well done barbecue ribs, whether they be beef ribs. God, I just hit ribeye in like three different ways. I said ribeye, then I said prime rib, then I'm saying barbecue ribs. That's all like the same cut there. And it's been a while and I, I, I think that I've been trying to watch my cholesterol lately, so that's probably my guilty pleasure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> three cookbooks that inspired you the most.
0: Goodness. Oh my god, I'm drawing a blank. Lebanese Bald guy. Uh, starts with the M. Murad. Murad? Uh, Murad, yes. yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Phenomenal books. He's got more than one. Ah, gosh. Sean Brock came out with some amazing Southern books over the past uh, five years. I can't South. remember. South,
1: yeah. What was yeah. the last
0: one they just put out? I mean,
1: out? It's called, what, South, is, one is called South. Is it just called
0: it? South? Yeah, I think. that's what it was. And then like an old school classic, you know, the, the French Laundry original book. I remember reading that over and over again as a youngster coming up. And gosh, I, I, the other day I did a fine dining menu for, for a friend who owns a winery. And, and I said, you know what? I'm going back to my to, my, to this book. And I made the cone and I, did the, I, I, I just did all these dishes from his book because I remember doing them as a youngster. And they were like, oh, we want elevated French. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a bunch of Thomas Keller dishes. And I did the potato chip <laughs> on the champagne glass with the caviar and the and just, oh, so good. Biggest
1: pet peeves in the kitchen.
0: when the, Yeah, the guys like to play the radio. I don't mind a little background music, but just this loud, God, I sound like an old man now, but just this loud, you know, <laughs> intense rap or, or, or whatever. And it's like, it's so invasive. Like, you want to play something soft, some... Is something like that, that's a little background music is one thing, but you know, especially when you're busy, you got to turn that off. Like, you know, so many mistakes. Okay,
1: okay the last one. Beside the classics, what condiments, spices, sauces do you like to have on hand at home?
0: <laughs> oh my God. All my friends make fun of me, all my chefs. I, I don't know what it is. I, I, I like mayonnaise. So, okay. <laughs> I might name a dozen different versions, you know, remoulade, tartare. You know, uh, we do a black garlic aioli, a traditional aioli, a lemon aioli, you know. I, I definitely find these uh, on the menu a lot. I mean, I love hot sauces. We make a lot of different hot sauces from scratch. So hot sauces and aiolis are probably my two.
1: What chili do you use for your hot sauces?
0: You know what? We, we've been using just the typical Fresno, which is like a red jalapeno. And we love pickling it because it dumbs down the spice. You know, when, when you get those hot sauces that are so hot that they blow people away, I don't find there to be a whole lot of, you can't work with them too much. They just kill your food. You, you blast someone's mouth like that, their palate's screwed for the next hour or so. We try to, you know, we have one hot sauce that we make and we use it at, at, at the fish restaurant and, you know, we it's, it's almost on the level of sriracha, but then we finish it with butter and we puree butter into it for the day and it holds this fat umami you know and it balances with the spice so you know it's that's it's, nice. it's a smarter hot sauce is what i call it <laughs>
1: <laughs> very good okay chef thank you very much for your time i really appreciate you know that uh-huh. you you know decided to be a guest you know on the show appreciate great that.
0: great let me know when this plays i'd love to share it thank you
1: appreciate that thank you for listening today What an incredible culinary journey with Chef Jeff McInnes. Through his diverse restaurant concepts, Chef McInnes has shown us that culinary innovation comes not only from experimentation, but also from execution and consistency. Thank you, Chef McInnes, for sharing your story with us. We hope you're living inspired. If you like this episode, please share it with a fellow food enthusiast and follow the podcast Flavors Unknown on your favorite podcast platform. You can subscribe to our newsletter on the website flavorsunknown.com. Stay tuned for the next episode of Flavors Unknown, where we'll continue our quest to unravel the stories and secrets behind the kitchen doors. Until then, keep the palate adventurous and your passion for food alive. And until then, keep in mind that the people who like to eat are always the best people.
0: Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at Flavors Unknown and visit us at flavorsunknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.